0: Hey, good morning, Cecily. Good morning, Bethany. How's it going?
1: Super good. Um, It's kind of getting into gardening season out here in Colorado. I've been trying to implement some of the learnings from our last episode with Peter, uh, potentially getting some fungi in my garden to help things kind of grow, get a good environment. How about you?
0: Oh, great. Yeah, I actually was just thinking the other day, like, what should I inoculate with some fungi in my backyard? (laughs) And I've been noticing so much more on my walks and like my neighbor's yards and what's popping up it's so cool and I recognizing that metaphor he gave about mycelium being the apple tree and the mushrooms just being the fruit that we see not being the whole organism yes yeah I
1: feel like I've been talking about it with a lot of people so I know that today we're going to be speaking with Lexi and Luis from Amisacho in Ecuador And I feel like we should just do a little recap of how we got to this point. How did you find them?
0: So Lexi, I found so randomly. I wrote her a terribly worded email in Spanish, and she was so kind to respond to me. And then not only respond, (laughs) but to give me her time. And we got on a WhatsApp video call because I had questions for her. I was researching for a film, actually, this area of the Amazon, and specifically about some pollutants and looking for remediation stories to share. In doing my research, I went down this rabbit hole learning about all of the legal battles that have gone on over the last few decades in that area specifically where Texaco Chevron had been extracting, but this specific region has seen really terrible repercussions from the pollution that was left behind. But what I really loved about Lexi and Luis and what they're doing is that They're basically doing all these a variety of grassroots, amazing projects to support their local community and also create avenues for economic stability and resilience. They are really lovely and kind to give us their time.
1: I'm so excited. I feel like there's so many positive lights in this story to hear about what they're doing in the midst of a lot of heartbreaking things that have happened in the past.
0: Yeah, and are still happening. It still matters that we learn this stuff and we pay attention to what's going on in the Amazon because it affects the whole planet. Well, Luis and Lexi, welcome. Good morning. Hey, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having us. And Luis, it's so great to meet you. I've heard so much about you.
2: Hola, buenos dias. Yo soy Luis. Un gusto en conocerles. Gracias por estar aquí y escuchar Mm -hmm. a nosotros.
0: You two are in what's called Lago Agrio in Ecuador, Mm -hmm. northeastern Amazon of Ecuador, which is also the most biodiverse region. Of the Amazon forest.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And Luis, you're from this area.
2: Yeah, I, bo- I born here.
0: And so you're Spanish speaking, you speak some English, and then do you speak other languages?
2: I speak Spanish, a little English. I'm trying to learn some native language.
3: When we go to communities, we at least can say hi, <laughs> greetings, and, and thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you want to give a quick intro of what you do in your day-to-day and an introduction of your farm, Amisacho?
3: Luisa's family has this property in the middle of Lago Agrio, which Lago Agrio is It's an oil boom town started by Chevron, Texaco. And Amisacho is the name of this reforestation project. About 12 years ago, 13 years ago, yeah. his parents bought this land that was deforested from extraction and cow pastures, cattle ranching, and they started a reforestation project. And so Amisacho is located about a, a kilometer downstream from Petra Amazonas, which is the state owned oil company. Right outside of the entrance is Oil drill number 26, which was from Texaco. And so inside Amisachu is just this reforested little island of jungle amidst deforestation for cattle ranching, monocultures, resource extraction. And so within the island of jungle, there's six different species of monkeys, river otter, river caiman, a diversity of Exotic birds and uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh-huh. native bees returning to the land.
2: Bueno, yeah, we work in we live and work here in this land. And actually I dedicate all my time for working here. We were in different areas in this land, we work in the soil, we work with plants, we work in our lab behind us, and we work with the community. And our work is for regenerate soils. We grow different plants, a process in our lab, and we made medicines. We grow some mushrooms, edible mushrooms, and medicinal mushrooms for us and for the community and try to support the local movements, social movements in yeah.
3: So Luis and I I'm a biologist and, and Luis studied engineering mechanics and now he's a mechanic converted biologist. So with the reforestation project of my in-laws, we decided to build the laboratory more as I think for us, it's it's easy to say how important it is to reforest, but it's difficult to help people provide alternative incomes. So we decided to build the laboratory to study different ways that we can process diverse plant materials to teach people alternative incomes to common deforestation practices. And so like Luis said, we cultivate edible and medicinal mushrooms. We process aromatic plants for essential oils, and we started a line of self-care products. We sell locally, but more than anything, we we teach courses um, and we share our failures and our successes uh, so that people can, can replicate what works for them. And so the cool thing about Luis and his mechanical experiences within the laboratory like whatever we need he's able to build it so we so for mushroom cultivation we built a steam pasteurizer which helps us pasteurize the mushroom substrate but at the same time we can convert it into an essential oil distiller wow for extracting aromatic plants so like that's our like I guess our daily life is exploring and experimenting and learning through hands on activities. That's it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's That's all. I want this. And he's like, Okay, I'll build it. You're what we say in English, a jack of all trades. Yeah, he can't
3: he can't sit still. Like we don't rest. (laughs) He's like his his dad too. (laughs) Runs in the family. It does.
0: Michigan here, it has been negative 10 at night recently, but you don't get that down in a tropical rainforest, do you? Right.
3: Constant sun year-round. Since we're on the equator, the sun doesn't shift, so we don't have spring, fall, winter. It's just a constant green, flourishing, blossoming Mm -hmm. season. I know that elders talk about Back in the day, there was distinct rainy season and dry, less rainy season, but now they say that it's just more spontaneous and not as predictable like it once was,
1: mm-hmm. which
3: which a lot of people have said that's really difficult for harvesting because it has an impact on when things flower. It also has an impact mm-hmm. on certain life cycles, for example, the charapa turtle which depends on dry season for the riverbanks to be exposed for the turtle to lay its eggs. But when there's a fluctuation and rainy season's not constant Mm -hmm. or dry season's not constant, then it can impact their reproductive cycles if there's no riverbanks exposed to reproduce. And so that's just one example of how many, as you said, being in the Amazon, it's the most biodiverse region in the world per unit. So it's an unimaginable the impacts that it could have, right? I guess that's climate change.
0: (laughs) You were saying, Lexi, that went to school to be a biologist. That was in the States. Yeah, I'm from Atlanta, but I studied in the Appalachian Mountains. How did you get to the rainforest?
3: Um, (laughs) About seven years ago, I was interested in volunteering in a program which was started with hopes to work towards bioremediation in Lago Agrio, in in this region. And so I came as a volunteer, and I was supposed to come for three months, and here I am seven years later. I fell in love with the country and the cultures and the landscapes and the social justice movements, the environmental justice movements, and a human, and Mm -hmm.
1: long story short. (laughs) Yeah, that was my question. Is there a story that
3: we can hear on how you guys met?
2: (laughs) Sí, no sé. árbol.
3: Okay. <laughs> My first weekend in Ecuador happened to be Luis's birthday, but I didn't know Luis. I came straight to Lago Agrio and I came straight to Amisacho because I happened to have a friend who was staying here, who just happened to meet his dad downtown and his dad was like, hey, I have a cabin. She was like, great. I don't want to stay in the city. Take me into nature and And so I just happened to come meet her here, actually, my first weekend in Ecuador. And when I got here, I remember seeing this kid, (laughs) this man, up in a tree with a magnifying glass. I have magnifying glass in my pocket, too. (laughs) And he was (laughs) looking... He was looking at insects and drawing them in his journal in order to copy the patterns of the insects into his jewelry and into his patterns that he... Wow. Liked. You make jewelry <laughs> too? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. He oh makes my all God. Of my jewelry. Oh,
2: <laughs> and in macrame right. and brooks. Yeah.
3: Oh, really? But mm-hmm. also in, in other like, mates. mates, like gourds, he drills holes and patterns and gourds and
0: turns them into lamps.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, my really gosh
0: feel like you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing with the farm and the lab and the community program, trying to help people tether their economic well-being with the forest and the forest well-being, because it comes very naturally to you.
2: Gracias. Uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, that is the life.
0: Do you have a version of the story you can answer in Spanish?
2: Uh, pues yo estuve acabando mi universidad en esa época. Muy curioso por, bueno, acabando una ingeniería y muy curioso por aprender cosas nuevas. Y cuando conocí a Lexi fue muy interesante para mí, ¿no? Como escuchar a una mujer hablando de biología y con falda y botas, leather eh, ¿cómo se dice? Timberland y lleno de compost en sus dedos y fermentación.
3: When he was in university he was excited to learn new things and studying and when he came back to Amisacho, and he met me and knew that I was studying biology and he said he was just fascinated by this girl who was wearing a skirt and Timberland boots and my fingernails full of compost and fermented smells. Awesome. <laughs> <Like you knew.
2: laughs>
1: He said, that's what trapped me. <laughs> so for you, it was the magnifying glass. And for him, it was the fingernails. <laughs> I
2: see <it. laughs>
3: When I first came here, I didn't speak Spanish very well. I could I could speak a little, but I couldn't under, interpret very well. It was new accents. And it was my first time in Latin America. And so I think immediately we became really good friends because we were communicating without words and we were able to understand each other and teach each other without using words. So it was like a deeper level of connection. And um, I think for me, one of the things that fascinated me most was when I got to see his room, it wasn't full of things, it wasn't full of. Um, decorations and just things and it was just full of his tools or his camping gear and and things that he's made everything was made by him or or just like materials that were collected and turned into something and I thought that was just really fascinating and I just wanted to learn more
0: says a lot about him
3: yeah
2: Mm -hmm.
0: what is the bird that we're hearing monkey. Yeah, those are monkeys. Family monkeys. Okay, and there are how many types of monkeys in your area? There's
3: six different species of monkeys. Two of them are nocturnal. Amisacha consists of around 14 hectares, and then there's maybe 15 hectares between the neighbors. That's getting smaller every day. And so depending on where certain trees are fruiting, they kind of migrate around, but they also are territorial because there's a lot of competition and reproduction, especially within species and between different groups. So that's typically the five o'clock alarm clock. (laughs) I hope the nocturnal ones are quiet. Sometimes they fight, they fight a
0: lot. So let's come
2: on. That's
3: that's what you hear
0: at night. (laughs) A hectare, how many acres is the farm then?
2: Una hectare es tres acres.
0: Dos punto cuatro.
2: Sí. I think yeah. it's
3: one hectare is like 2.4 acres. So that's pretty sizable for a farm. To be it started off as four hectares, and then little by little, through projects and family support and other donations, we've been able to augment and buy hectares from neighbors. And so. Right. Uh, this past year, we were able to purchase four more
0: hectares.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So now it's 14 hectares, more or less. It's obviously not a traditional farm because it's a reforestation farm. So you are yeah. influencing the ecosystem like farmers, but instead you're also just trying to promote the natural regrowth. And mm-hmm. what what does that look like? What is What have your roles been in stewarding that process?
3: I've been learning a lot from my father-in-law, who has never heard of the word permaculture, but it comes so natural to him. And the way that he's replenished the land, regenerated the land, is really reflective of reading the landscape and understanding the landscape. So, for example, right in front of us is a little bit of a swampy area, riverbanks, and there's a lot of morete palms planted here. And then in other parts, I mean, the whole the whole area, more, we don't necessarily call it a farm, we more land. <laughs> this land, it's more of like agroforestry or a food forest. And so mm-hmm. throughout the lands, you'll find just a dispersed variety of fruit trees, citrus trees. There's a variety of native lumber that's going extinct in the region. So there's like, for example, chuncho, Chuncho is a tree that indigenous communities use. It's a fine wood that they use for canoes. But I guess with the expanding city and deforesting, expanding farms, those species are being lost or cut down. And so here we have over 200 trees of chuncho, and that's just one of the species. But on top of the diversity of species, it's the, the way that he's also cultivated, reflecting the landscape, but also what we call ground covering. So he's used techniques where he plants mani forajera, which is the nitrogen fixing clove. And so in a way he's regenerating the soil and has cover crops, which protect the soil while yeah. trees grow. And then while certain trees grow, there's also um, short cycled plants, like edible crops, like yucca, short cycle tubers and vines, mm-hmm. edible and medicinal vines. And so um, it reflects a tropical forest, the Amazon, which once when you walk into a jungle, what's characteristic of the Amazon is is these distinct stratas, vegetative strata. So you have like the ground floor, then you have like bush levels, then you have like a medium strata where you can find like vines and lower growing trees. And then you have like the higher canopy where all you find like monkeys and, and then you have like a penetrating layer which passes the canopy and you have like really tall trees like the sable. The sable tree is what James Cameron used as his inspiration for home tree and avatar. And so yeah. that, um, wow. so when you walk into a jungle, I mean, and you start to identify all these different levels and insects and animals that live in their different niches and vines that connect the upper strata down into the forest floor and the diversity of fungi and floor critters that's what to me amisachu and other permaculture farmers that we work with try to replicate is that diversity and vegetative diversity of replicating like what is amazon it's always going to be diverse and so when you work with native species like that it's far more productive there's far more a wider variety of harvests, a wider variety of incomes versus monocultures where typically it's a species that's not local and you cut down everything in order to plant one species but Mm -hmm. again we're in the amazon the most extreme climate the most biodiverse region in the world so you're gonna be competing with nature and all of her pathogens and pests and plagues which are um that's where we are that's the reality of where we are and so that's why people who work in monocultures have to revert to toxic agrochemicals in order to fight Mm -hmm. off nature um, and yeah. instead of work with the diversity and work with the native species that are acclimated to extreme rain, extreme sun, oxysol soils, which are nutrient poor, easily leach. And so instead of leaving them bare, like in monocultures so that they erode in the rain, you work with cover crops, which protect the soil, regenerate it, build it. And that's um, I think that's really Our area of interest is helping people relearn our ecosystem, which is unique to the world. So instead of adapting industrial agriculture, especially in the Amazon, we have to have a very distinct way of working with our environment because the way that these extractive methods have come in is really changing the geography of the Amazon. And that's why the Amazon is literally on a tipping point from becoming a tropical forest to a savanna biome Mm -hmm. and that's climate change right so that's the danger that we're facing right now with all the deforestation without the trees that produce the rain we're literally changing a local climate yeah so it's complex and it's really um really a worldwide issue about what happens in the amazon yeah
0: Yeah. it affects the whole planet some of our first science textbooks as kids here, talk about the Amazon forest as the lungs of the planet for how much carbon is absorbed. So not, yeah, not only does the Amazon provide a third
3: of the world's oxygen, but the amount of carbon that it stores in its biomass, I don't even know how many tons, I don't know those numbers, but it's extremely impressive and important to the planet's cycles. We've been learning a lot about the Amazon flying river,
2: yeah yeah so the trees in the amazon uh, really can take many water from the soil how do you say Transpirar. transpiration
1: they can
2: transpiration many water for from the atmosphere atmosphere mm-hmm. if for example water in brazil can evaporate and create a really big aerial river mm-hmm. and this move around the south america and bring water from this area, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Mm-hmm. So that is the reason we say all is connected. The things, the problems happen in Brazil really affect us in this area.
3: So, so what Luis is talking about is how if you look at the Amazon and satellite images, there's always a cloud over it. And that's what they call the flying river is because the trees of the Amazon when, when intact, not fragmented, but when intact, transpire enough moisture that they help contribute to produce their own rain. Wow. And so this rain, this flying river provides rain throughout the Amazon, like Luis said, in Brazil, Bolivia, Ecuador, Venezuela, More but it also helps regulate humidity on a planetary level. So um, some studies said that it it even impacts the rain in California, which, as we know, droughts are becoming more and more intense in California and fires are increasing. So when we talk about the impact of deforestation, that's the big level of changes that are really visible.
0: So your farm, you described as an island because there's so much deforestation surrounding it. And so... In this case, you've got an island of forest. It's not intact with a larger body of trees necessarily, or as much as it should be. And you're still seeing more deforestation because people see the value in land that is vacant of the biodiversity, uh, to simplify it, to produce monocultures or raise cattle. When in fact, I think I've read this somewhere and it stuck with me that I think 25% of the active ingredients in pharmaceuticals were originally sourced and found in the Amazon, and only maybe 2.5% of plant life in the Amazon has even been tested for potential active ingredients. So the value that we don't even know exists, that we could be losing, and it takes hundreds of years to regrow that level of biodiversity obviously if all of the amazon became a savannah it might not recoup for far longer but in the 13 years that you've been working on reforesting this property what kind of what have the winds looked like how much progress have you seen the first thing that comes to my yeah. mind is i mean that's just
3: one example a very very small example of a tiny island the biggest islands of forests that still exist in the Amazon are indigenous territories protected by people whose lives are directly integrated and interdependent on each other, that they're defending their territories with their lives um, and are now taking that to the courts. And in Ecuador, the rights of nature exist in the Constitution. So for the first time, And in history, indigenous groups are using the Constitution in their favor to sue the Ecuadorian government for auctioning off their ancestral territory to foreign petrol companies or suing the Ministry of Environment for permitting mining concessions in their territory, which are oftentimes national parks. And so there's a lot more legal defense movements that are extremely important in defending the last standing forests as part of indigenous rights and environmental rights. So Ecuador is the first country to include the rights of nature in their constitution, but it's another thing to actually implement it. And so that's what's being challenged in the courts,
0: especially when it's after the fact in some cases. It's really
3: complex. And so then the government says, well, what's underneath your territory belongs to the government. So extraction, petroleum extraction Mm -hmm. um, is argued to not, you know, enter into their territory, right? I mean, there's just so many different angles of of how how impactful um, resource extraction is in these territories when they open up a road and that road also opens up uh, settlers and farms, or illegal logging, or you know, ex- expanding agriculture. One of the biggest threats, the, the first opening to destroy a forest is a pathway or a road.
2: Uh-huh. Mm. Entonces cuando comunidades indígenas no tienen opciones, no tienen ingresos económicos alternativos, eh, es muy fácil verse tentado o so even
3: within indigenous communities, um, they're in need of economic support uh, alternatives. And, and when they're proposed with these projects mm-hmm. from the municipality or from uh, agronomers or from the state or from private companies that come in and propose them financial opportunities and um, they're exposed and interested in a lot of um, monocultures including palm oil. so so for them they're completely surrounded by palm monocultures and it's it a lot of people just uh, for them it's not fair that these uh, settlers can mm-hmm. cut their forests and receive all this money per hectare and it's an easy opportunity for them to follow the same methods. So even within the communities, there's a lot of,
2: of conflicts within
3: the communities yeah. about what types, how to maintain um, their own incomes for their own needs,
2: right? petróleo, Como el gobierno dice, sí, a, los, a las nacionalidades indígenas, como la selva es de ustedes, es suya, ustedes lo manejan, pero el estado es dueño del subsuelo. Uh-huh. Entonces, como ellos toman en realidad la decisión de cómo sacar el petróleo, uh-huh. y al final no son dueños del territorio porque tienen que entrar a sacar el petróleo del subsuelo. Yeah. Entonces, uh-huh. yeah. es como, no fue Yeah, so
3: Luis said even the government plays dirty Um, and what we were talking about before is saying that um, yes the indigenous community are owners of the territory but the government is owners of what's underneath the soil so they have the right to go in and extract but at the same time they're still going through the territory opening Mm -hmm. up seismic testing pumping stations um pipelines and roads, and, and that also does the amount of social conflicts that that brings in, bringing in alcohol, drugs, prostitution, um, and, and just changing the, the mindsets of the communities who, who are employed by the petrol companies, and, and it's just, you see a complete change in culture and dependency now on the companies that have entered into their territory.
0: It's modern examples of colonialism yeah. still happening, but with corporations working with government. And mm-hmm. a couple of
3: communities that are resisting deforestation or different extraction impacts on their territory and culture. We've been collaborating with different organizations and communities and families and in opportunities and Towards reforestation, towards um, reforesting ancestral edible forests or productive forests, and so mm-hmm. we've been um, we've been teaching things like essential oils or um, harvesting medicinal mushrooms or processing native fruits for nat- for um, alternatives to palm oil.
2: Mm-hmm. Claro, porque ellos tienen como de este morete millones de hectáreas. Natural. Uh-huh.
3: So, so like this morete palm that's growing in the.
2: Um, they say moretal.
3: Yeah. That's growing in the swamp, Um in the, within their territory they have thousands of hectares that are naturally growing of this palm that produces its own oils. And um, so, so there's a project working towards instead of Cutting down the forest to plant African palm monocultures, that, uh, but to rather look into ancestral ways that um, elders made their own oils out of native palms like morete. Uh, um, uh, um, yeah, there's a variety of there's a variety of palms like ungurawa and cool. there's seeds that are just really rich in omegas and really important to the nutritional staple and, and diet.
2: The sí, sí. como ha sido tan fuerte el cambio, mm-hmm. como hay que volver a la tradición de las abuelas y preguntar cómo hacían los aceites de palmas para como es la opción, ¿no? Porque muchas veces las comunidades salen afuera a comprar el mismo aceite de palma por el que mm-hmm. están luchando y no están usando los aceites que usaban como yeah. antiguamente.
3: Yeah, he's saying like the cultural changes have happened so fast and drastically within a few generations that um, now, even within the communities, they're buying um, African palm oil for cooking instead of using mm-hmm. traditional ways that their uh, abuelos or elders used for for um, processing and making oils and cooking, and and that is a that's one of the biggest I don't know how to say like difficulties to see is the younger generations aren't learning these skills and abilities and knowledge of the forest that the elders have and hold and are losing with every death of an elder Um, Mm and especially like the shamans or um, the taitas in their knowledge and their language is it's a library of like the their knowledge and their language of the forest is just a library of information of medicines, of fibers, of artisanal uses of um, things for hunting or venoms for hunting. There's there's storytelling and the myths mm-hmm. within their story are so um, it's just a different way of thinking and, and interpreting. A landscape and culture throughout time, and all this information is is passed on through storytelling, a language, and this an eccentric knowledge of. So when you see a forest, you see a lived experience, and you see a culture in a in a forest. And so when you cut that down, it's really. Impossible to understand how much is lost. Is there any other way that people are looking to keep those stories
1: alive from the elders? Is there any way that it's being preserved?
2: Las historias algo que se transmite oralmente, no? Como mm-hmm. es algo que se está. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: So he's saying that a lot of the stories are told are told from the elders uh, to the youth in in storytelling in many communities that still exist, but. What's lacking is also not just the stories, but also the hands-on um, abilities and artisan crafts um, like ceramic making or basket weaving or ways of fishing
2: interpretando el bosque también, or como ways los of interpreting the forest. No so
3: he's saying that youth, when they walk in the forest without this experience, they... And it's different than when you walk with an elder or, or um, a hunter of the community because they can read the landscape, they know what animals have come through here, or they know certain things, uh, certain saps, or certain smells, and, and just their interaction with the forest is completely different, which that lived experience is, is being lost. To respond to your question about is it being documented, some organizations, for example, um, La Alianza Sable, which is a local NGO. It's a union between four different nationalities, Walrani, Sequoia, Siona, and Kofan, uh, native to this region. And they've been doing a lot of work, a lot of work towards defending uh, their territories and cultures and have supported most of, um, many of the legal lawsuits that have set precedent or have been pioneering examples and set examples for other communities to to follow and step up for their territorial rights and indigenous rights. Within their program, Alianza Sable they also have an area focused on, on protecting their culture where they've taught youth in the communities how to use cameras and GPS mapping. And, and so a lot of the youth have been filming their parents and their grandparents walking in the forest with them about certain practices and chicha making, which is chicha is, is like the local fermented drink that they make or how to prepare certain medicines. That made that makes me think about recently they published a video about rescuing ancestral medicines in times of COVID.
2: When the pandemic started here and uh, yeah, many people was scared but the first people in affect of for start with this pandemic was the communities. So yeah, they don't know what's ready really. And when people start to be sick, uh, some people go from the hospitals and people start to die. So when this start, the elders in the community uh, start to think what's happening and start to study how worse this this enfermedad, this illness, if you had pain, if you have diarrhea, if you can't breathe. So they was looking for different plans for these different th- symptoms and they put in a I don't know in a soup, in a preparation, different these different plants, no? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many plants, maybe 10 different plants now, and they start to give this from her community. And after after this uh, all the people was healing. We know histories about Grand olders, elders, elders? Oh, elders with 90 years old with COVID, and just they drink this, and they now still strong in the community. Yeah, many people in the community now is good. Uh, nobody died after they start to drink the medicine from the jungle, and yeah. It, the situation now is totally different. If you enter the community now, the pandemic now exceeds all this. So, tranquilo. Uh, tranquil. Tranquil. Yeah, the life is continued. But if you lived from the city, is a chaos. yet.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's chaos. chaos in the city. Um, so, so, like Luis was saying, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was the indigenous communities that were first to get mm-hmm. sick. Since they live in commune, they share bowls, they visit, they, um, you know, extended families live in the same, under the same house. Es, and.
2: and es la todo es compartido. Entonces, everything is shared. Si enfermó, es que toda la yeah. So if one
3: person, person gets es sick, especially since COVID is so contagious, everybody is pretty, you know everybody got sick very quickly in the communities and so at the beginning they were recognizing that everybody that went to the hospital didn't come back they died and so they decided to stop sending people to the hospital and like louise said started to identify okay what are the symptoms what do we know that works for diarrhea what do we know that works for head pain what do we know that works for congestion or lung issues and so they um particularly within the Secopai community, they made trips in canoe um, hours down river to uh, ancestral territories in the border of Peru. And, you know, after being just, um, I guess, relocated due to the rubber boom and other issues from in territory and uh, um, frontier, what do I call it? border border issues Fronterra. fronteras in this spanish and yeah. <laughs> um, and so during the pandemic they went to their ancestral territories and and with the elders were finding different vines and and barks and roots and um, which haven't necessarily those seeds been taken to to new areas and and they brought them back and made these concoctions and like louise said um People, um, they've been able to com- control deaths in the communities, which I haven't heard of COVID related deaths in the communities since these stories uh, came about. And so they've been, um, so now even in the city, you can find um, more people interested in buying chuchuwasi, uña de gato, uh, ajo de monte. And it's like we talked about before honoring and remembering the diversity that the amazon and and with beholds and all of these species unknown and their potential properties um i want to know more about how you guys go
1: about teaching essential oil making and extraction and then additionally how does that enable sustainable income or economic resilience for the community
3: yeah that's complex and that really is um I think that's for me why I like permaculture, not as a brand, but as a real intuitive understanding of how landscapes work and how local ecosystems work. And so I think um, like we talked about the different stratas and diversity, and that's something that we really try and work with, which many of indigenous communities They have what's called a chakra, which is a diverse little agroforestry garden, which has been losing a lot of its diversity over generations, focusing more and more on produce that's more marketable, like Mm yucca and papaya and pineapple. But um, in prior generations and older generations, the chakra could have up to or over 300 different species of of edibles and and diverse fruits and medicines. So that's important for us to reassure that that's the type of reforestation or agroforestry that we're supporting. So that's our main focus is through that point of view is to work with communities and local farmers to reinforce these types of methods versus other farmers who plant 50 acres of turmeric. And and so it's more about just helping people remember how our ecosystem works, how our Mm -hmm. nutrient cycles work, how the carbon cycle works. And in the end, the more diversity that they have, the more diverse products they have, the more diverse incomes they have, Instead of competing with each other where everybody grows turmeric or everybody has um, cacao or everybody has coffee and we're no longer able to feed ourselves, we're no longer able to trade food or you're competing for the same market, which lowers the price.
0: The more diverse, the more resilient, both economically, but also environmentally and Mm -hmm. for the ecosystem. Yeah, we all, I feel that way about diversifying kind of anything. In your life, you're Mm -hmm. making it more resilient. But for some reason, it's our, I don't even want to say it's our human nature, but it's a cultural nature to want to simplify and make things, you know, black and white and yes or no, and just repeatable. And I love that the youth are using video to capture because when we're talking about elders, I'm thinking about, it's not just preserving their knowledge, it's language And it's plant identification, where they didn't have iPhones in the last Mm -hmm. century of knowledge taking photos of plant life that we might have a hard time finding now because they are becoming more rare. Mm. It's it's really important, but a difficult task. So we've been, um, I guess,
3: within our networks, we started a program called Guardians of the Soil, Guardianes del Suelo, which is like... I guess as Amisachu, we're not necessarily like a, um, a legal organism, I guess more of just a family project. And that gives us flexibility to work with different institutes and NGOs and farmers and individuals in their different missions. And so we started a program called Guardians of the Soil, which is an opportunity to really kind of unify all these different local organizations and communities and, and, and their missions through soil regeneration, and through diversifying the land. I mean, it's it's based on what we were talking about, is relearning how ecosystems work and our planet functions, basic nutrient cycles, how decomposition works, how fungi and bacteria in the whole microbial world are also a huge contribution to sinking atmospheric carbon on top of the living forest. And so by reviving dead soils whether that's from compaction or agrochemicals or industrial contamination by regenerating soils we can revive these cycles and be able to reforest easier quicker healthier that the trees and plants have a better survival rates due to the mutualism between mycorrhizal fungi and trees but also Um, healthier soils for protein-rich and nutrient-rich foods. And so through the Guardians of the Soil, these other spaces have opened up like La Feria de la Esperanza, the Hope Fair, which invites and celebrates diversity and permaculture farmers or organic produce or artisanal products from communities and to honor the missions behind all of these families and organizations and institutes and to be able to find common ground and celebrate these acts of justice and and unity and so the spaces like the hope fair have become really important um it is more than organic it, it's more than produce it's it's the social cohesion that's it's that's it's the community uh-huh. expanding and it's been really important to us to to focus on celebrating and honoring and inspiring people to participate in this type of community because it feels good
0: and and it feels right. I had another question about community and I know Luis is probably dying to start being active and building something and not be sitting here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, yeah, he's like making ceramic. There is another way that you support the community. As a mechanic, you install solar panels in remote areas in the forest. Is that right?
2: Sí, sí. Bueno, un parte de mi trabajo es proveer energía eléctrica a las comunidades. Solo lo hago para ellos.
3: Part of his work is to help provide um, solar energy in communities just for communities, indigenous
2: communities. ¿Cómo ayuda? Bueno, ayuda personalmente... A cada familia en el sentido He's saying
3: that one of the ways that it helps is it allows them to extend their activities into the night and the evening, especially for artisan work, for homework, and also for storytelling. It helps them lengthen their day and what they're able to complete within a certain time period into the night. Now it's just, it just extends their opportunities.
2: Mm-hmm. Es una forma Eh, mucha gente, muchas familias tienen que como vender madera o tienen que cazar animales o pescar mucho y salirlos a vender al pueblo para comprarse un generador eléctrico o comprar gasolina para su electricidad porque ahora es una necesidad que no se puede negar, ¿no?
3: He's saying that many families end up depending on selling lumber, cutting down trees to sell, or hunting um, wild game or fish and selling that in in the cities in order to buy gasoline for their generators. So a lot of communities have really loud generators at night which are gasoline-based and they have to purchase the gasoline down in the city.
2: Una manera también de proteger el territorio a gran escala porque, bueno, la electricidad es una de las primeras excusas que tiene el Estado también para entrar, ¿no? Hay como el gran plan de electrificar a todo el país y tienes que una gran para yeah you saying
3: it's one of the biggest ways to protect um, protect their territory on a on a bigger scale because electricity is one of the first excuses that the government promises to the community we promise you uh, electricity in, in schools and hospitals and and to bring an electric line obviously comes with roads and it comes with contracts and it comes with other promises and other counterparts and so it allows them to be more resistant more resilient in the face of these offers which are often trickier packets than they may seem and since the world is advancing so much and technologically and that it's important that the communities can also appropriately adapt as well, but in a manner that still helps them maintain their culture, helps them maintain their territory, and and protects the jungle, which is, as we know, is integral to their being and their health and the planet's health.
2: Mm-hmm. Entonces, bueno, he trabajado instalando en las cuatro nacionalidades de acá Y uno de los trabajos más impactantes ha sido como haber instalado en el territorio Borani, ¿no? Que ahora está, es una, es una inmensa cantidad de suelo que está protegido y la energía solar como ayudó a ser como frente también a este tipo de invasión de empresas del estado petroleras.
3: So he's been able to work with La Alianza Sable and the four nationalities and One of the most um, impactful opportunities for him was to be able to implement solar panels with Walrani communities in Pastaza, which through installing solar panels and being independent with their electricity and energy, they were also able to confront foreign invasions from, from the government. For petrol companies, for electricity, and other offers that have been bombarding them, and that I think is one of the one of the first passes that helped contributed to the recent Morani victory suing the Ecuadorian government inhibiting um, the auctioning of their ancestral territory to foreign petrol companies. I think it was like a hundred thousand.
2: No the... Yeah, I think it's like 100,000 <laughs> acres uh, which is connected to uh,
3: another line, uh, um, a diversity of indigenous communities that go all the way to Peru and so their victory and, and their sectors helps lead the way for the other indigenous communities facing the same threats.
2: Yeah, a small system can hacer a gran impact if si mm-hmm. it's well used.
3: Yeah, so a a little system can have a really big impact if it's used right.
2: Educación, for example, ahora están instalando muchos sistemas solares para internet en escuelas. Entonces, jóvenes tienen acceso a educación.
3: So it's really helped um, on a local and a community level. The education in schools they're they're now able to have internet, which helps um, the youth be able to access diverse information and and even be able to upload their stories and videos and mapping and have zoom calls with um, NGOs and and areas of interest that can support them especially during covid right with now that people aren't able to enter into the communities as easily there's still ways for them to work and plan and strategize as uh, these extraction threats continue to augment, especially because of COVID and the economy uh, slowing down, and increase in increase interest, especially with the IMF, um, International Monetary Fund, and their interest in Ecuador's resources. So mm-hmm. it's it's complex, and it has, like you said, a little system can have a really big impact.
0: Yeah. Uh, we know how impactful systems are, but I like that perspective on the positive impact that an alternative system can offer. Obviously, Lexi, part of you being in Ecuador and meeting Luis was a visit for a bioremediation project, and we haven't talked about the local impact of pollution, which has in turn caused a cancer rate in the region that's 30 times what's normal. and the tinctures that you've made with some of the fungi that you can grow in the lab or have foraged for has been helpful to treat people, but that's been a part of your community-oriented mission?
3: Yeah, it is really sad. The impact... From resource extraction from the 1960s in Ecuador to the 1990s, left behind by Chevron Texaco because it's something that continues to impact decades and generations later. And the impacts that it has not only on the environment and the biodiversity and the health of aquatic and land ecosystems, but especially on culture, indigenous cultures. It's very complex, the mental contamination that's also very present now. So, we like to focus on hope. We like to focus on projects that are are working to unite people and restore their health and land on the level of the home and the level of the community. And so, like, Guardians of the Soil is part of a bigger network of where we work with La Clínica Ambiental, which offers free permaculture courses throughout the region and the Union of Affected People Against Texaco, UDAPS, which represent 30,000 people who are in the legal lawsuit against Texaco for over three decades. And and so them together participate in Guardians of the Soil, Guardians of the Soil, and and other organizations. But La Clínica and UDAP started a program teaching alternative therapies in the most contaminated areas. And so with the really high cancer rates and the Solca, which is one of the, it's the cancer hospital in Ecuador, which is about eight hours away in Quito. It's privately owned and very expensive and Hmm. difficult for one of the poorest regions as well. So uh, for patients to be able to transport and house themselves and get appointments there is really difficult so these alternative therapy programs that they've been teaching in communities has created this committee of therapists who are just I don't even know it brings so many emotions and 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 hope and beauty and sadness and pain to see what they've been going through and they've created this database documenting patients throughout the region that's not recognized by the local ministry of health, and oh, so wow. it's helping it's helping illuminate and issues so that hopefully one day they'll respond to it, um, not that they don't know. And so our interest is being able to support the the therapists and and teaching them how to extract essential oils or how to make mushroom extracts. And we started a donation program to, re- we by receiving financial donations, we're able to donate mushroom medicinal tinctures or, or cannabis products or other anti-carcinogenic remedies to patients. And so we provide them to the therapist and they provide them directly, donate them directly to their patients. And those stories from their patients have been the most and I just It's just what animates us and encourages us to keep making these products and people being able to move their fingers for the first time in months. And one of the patients, she, she was a seamstress. And for years, she hasn't been able to bend her fingers. And since she started taking our, our mushroom extracts, she's been able to hold bottles again and started sewing again. And when we delivered her an extract, she just started crying. And, and, and so did we. And um, and so it just makes you remember the importance of plant knowledge. So especially since COVID happened, uh, many of the patients haven't had ex- access to morphine or access to chemotherapy. And so right now, we we've started a Another campaign, again, to be able to receive donations, to be able to provide mushroom tinctures and other um, pain-relieving formulas for the therapists. Yeah, so that's what really motivates the laboratory.
0: What's the name of that campaign, or how would people find it if they wanted to donate? Um, Right now, we just receive donations
3: via PayPal directly to Amisatu, or you can donate directly to La Clinica Ambiental, which is a legal Ecuadorian NGO. And so, um, whether it's through Amisacho or Clinica Ambiental, we provide the donations directly to the therapists.
0: Wow. Something I probably should have asked earlier on when we were doing the intros, but what does Amisacho
2: mean? Before colonization and extraction here, all territory was from Kofa nationality. Was home to
3: the Kofa. Was home,
2: yeah, that was it. They tell this place Amisacho, meaning it's bamboo forest. Mm-hmm.
3: So they referred to this area as Amisacho, which is a specific type of bamboo.
2: Yeah, all this area was growing this type of bamboo.
3: So after the reforestation here, Alianza Sable has their offices are based out of Amisacho, and so some of the cofan leaders in La Alianza Sable gave the name to the reforestation project Amisacho. So now we use the name Amisacho to to honor what was here before Chevron Texaco that came in and gave the name Lago Agrio after their first oil drill in Sour Lake, Texas. So Sour Lake translates to Lago Agrio. And so we prefer to use Amisacho. So do I. (laughs) Like,
0: I get goosebumps because I love that name having the purpose of just remembering But it also makes my blood boil to think that somebody came in and renamed the area Lago Agrio for a town in Texas based on oil extraction.
3: Luis calls it Lago Dulce, which is sweet lake instead of Lago Agrio, sour lake.
0: (laughs) Prefiero. También prefiero. (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. I know you have many other things to be doing, and I appreciate your time so very much. We both do. And next time i feel like there's more topics we didn't get to but talking more about the forest and plant knowledge and biochar which i think is so interesting mm-hmm. and i know you make that right luis which is um, a whole topic of the own but... <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: that's like his favorite
2: <laughs> pastime
3: <laughs> yeah we have to have mm-hmm. a part two to talk about biochar and, and terra preta
1: Yeah, I also want to thank you guys so much for your time and bringing this back into my awareness. So definitely want to continue Mm -hmm. to support you guys in any way.
3: We appreciate your time and interest. It means a lot to be able to share stories of people who don't necessarily have access to these outlets. And that's important for us. And I think especially being able to hear this, it makes you wonder on a home level what we contribute to what we invest in or what we can divest in. So when we can identify where our food comes from or where our clothes come from, I think it helps us live more consciously. It helps us recognize who to support. And that's difficult with globalization. And so I think the most important thing is just to support local artisans, support indigenous communities, because 80% of the last forests on earth are defended by indigenous communities.
0: Wow, that's a beautiful note to add on.
2: Muchísimas gracias. Hang What I say? Uh-huh.
0: Hey. Sí, qué lindo. Hey. Hopefully,
3: the, for another opportunity, we can delve into more details. We'd yes. love that. Thanks okay. for your
0: time. Thanks for listening to the Greenish Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in learning more or taking action, we have great information in our show notes. Greenish is a podcast produced by Be Alive Media with original music by Devin Anderson. This episode was produced by Bethany Scully and Cecily Krieger and edited by Caitlin Lovell. Again, thanks for listening and until next time.